All right, welcome to the fourth episode of Guys Who Law. We were on a one-week hiatus, but we're back for a special July 4th episode. We got two topics for this episode. Our first topic, topic is very American. Uh, Supreme, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court case about the Im- immigration ban that came out this week. And then for our second topic, we're going to be doing a lightning round on the do's and don'ts of July 4th. But before we talk about that, let's welcome our guest for this episode, Aaron Keller, who is a host for Long Crime Network, but you also may recognize him from Making a Murderer. He was the, the reporter on the scene analyzing the case of Stephen Avery as it went on for years and years. And welcome, Aaron. Good to see you guys. Oh, I get applause from Jesse, but not from Andrew. Wow. <laughs> I had a pen in my Wow. Head. You know, it's not every day we have fame with us. We have fame. I don't know. I'm not also an actor, Jesse. I know, but you know what it is, Aaron? When I first joined the network, Law and Crime, I saw you and I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? You thought that, that I, I went, was your grandfather. Well, I mean, with that head of hair, it might make sense. But then I went back to Netflix and I looked at Making a Murderer and I remember I was like, there he is. You were a big star right, of that. The Silver was, Fox. Uh, my hair was more dark then than it is today, but it, it, you can't erase a trademark. You, so you so at this point, I cannot do anything with it. Aaron, this is a big moment for your career, but more importantly, your life. Are you happy to be here with us? Uh, I am. Uh, this will clearly eclipse my marriage. Um, perhaps not the honeymoon, but the marriage uh, at this point. Just being here with Andrew Icebrook and Jesse Weber, I'm sure. Definitely eclipses me. My wife marriage. will not listen to this. I will. I will be in trouble if well, she listens to this. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. So should I take it off, what we're going to talk about first? Yeah, let's get started. Okay, first thing up is there was a big development with the travel ban. So for anybody, we're going to give you a quick recap about what happened. So back in January 27, 2017, the Trump administration put down an order. It was a 90-day ban on the entry into the U.S. of citizens from seven overwhelmingly Muslim countries. That was Iran, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. There was also a 120-day hold on admission of refugees, although there was an exception for religious minorities. That order was blocked by lower federal courts. Then, back in March of 27, back in March of 2017, a second order was laid down. There was a 90-day ban on entry into the U.S. from citizens of six of the seven countries. One of them was dropped. Iraq was dropped. It suspended entry of refugees now, but without an exception of religious minorities. Well, guess what? That order was blocked by the lower federal courts. The Trump administration tried to bring this to the Supreme Court. Not really that successful. Not really much to talk about there. But then the third order came down. This was back in September of 2017, and this is the travel ban order that is currently taking place. That's what we're talking about. What this did, it imposed an indefinite ban. There was no more 90 days, an indefinite ban. Now, some countries were dropped, some countries were added. Chad was added, although it was later dropped. Venezuela was added, and North Korea was added, while Sudan was dropped. So, the final list of travel ban countries. People from these countries cannot come to the U.S. North Korea, Syria, Iran, Yemen, Libya, Somalia, and Venezuela. Well, what happened this past week? Well, we knew that the state of Hawaii sued. They thought that this travel ban was unconstitutional, improper, and should be struck down. The Supreme Court, we were waiting for it. 
they came out with their decision. In a five to four vote, they upheld Trump's travel ban, this 2017 order. This was a huge victory for the Trump administration. Now, real quick, we'll say what they did. Um, they rejected Hawaii's first argument that this order uh, somehow exceeded the president's authority under federal immigration laws. They were looking at a specific act and they said, look, the president can block non-citizens from coming into the United States if he determines that allowing them to enter would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. They also rejected another argument by Hawaii saying that, it, that this uh, federal immigration law, it doesn't limit the president's ability to block the entry of nationals. There was another provision of that. They said that didn't apply. And then probably in the most important part, uh, or equally important part, they rejected the final argument from Hawaii that this order somehow violated the Constitution's Establishment Clause, namely that it prohibits, that the Constitution prohibits favoring one religion over another, because we're talking about predominantly Muslim countries. Well, they said that is not true. There was a sufficient national security justification, and if you look at the 2017 order, this was not a Muslim ban. This was a security, a national security interest ban. So the reason they said that is because look at, look at this, Iraq, Sudan, Chad, Muslim majority countries, they were on the initial travel ban, but they're not on the new one. There was also exceptions that were carved out that allowed some nationals from almost all of the countries covered by the order to come to the United States. And there's also a waiver provision that allowed nationals from covered countries to come to the US in certain circumstances, such as medical care. Bottom line, they're saying this is not a Muslim ban. And there was a concurrence, there was a dissent, we'll talk about it, but the bottom line is that travel ban was upheld. So it seems like the question here is whether the, the order obviously on its face didn't say anything about being a Muslim ban or targeting any sort of religion, but in terms of Trump's campaign rhetoric, he had clear, clearly said in the past that he was interested in doing a Muslim ban. So the court had to consider what other evidence to, 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 to take in in determining whether this was a violation of the Establishment Clause. I don't know if they dig down to, into it that much, but what do you think, Aaron? Well, look, I mean, the, the court's decision, the majority ruling, is that the, the travel ban itself had sufficient backup. It was bulletproofed. There was additional research behind it, which the court felt was enough to substantiate the decision, saying, okay, look, um, you know, the law requires that the president find that by admitting certain foreign nationals, it would be detrimental to the interest of the United States. And the court held here that the president did just fine in effectuating that. He ordered the Department of Homeland Security and other agencies to conduct a big investigation into every single country's compliance. Um, he did a risk assessment baseline issued a proclamation, okay, the actual ban itself with all sorts of findings about deficiencies, their impact, you know, why these countries were deficient, and then, you know, found ultimately in the process that uh, restricting the entry of aliens who could not be vetted with adequate information was a big problem. And uh, in the national interest, we needed to go this way. So, so basically what Trump did is is convince the court, look at the ruling itself and don't look at everything I said on the campaign and in speeches and tweets and everything else. Just look at the ruling. The findings are that we have adequate reason to implement this 
And the court bought that argument. In the words of the, uh, the Obama campaign, though, uh, years ago, is this the kind of situation where you put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig? Well, look, they, they said if, I mean, just to really break it down, they're saying these countries, they're not supplying us with the kind of information we need to properly vet. If you do it, if you change your ways, maybe you can get off the list. Look what happened to Chad. It was put on the list and then it was taken off. It said that it finally uh, did improved its identity management and information sharing policies. So I guess what it's saying is, look, if Trump wanted to ban all Muslims, let's cut through this. If he wanted to ban all Muslims, this is not a guy who minces words. Wouldn't he have said, listen, I'm going to ban anybody with the last name that is in this list or follows the religion? I mean, I'm not crazy, but I'm pretty sure that if he wanted to try to do that, he would try to do that. Someone might stop him and say, you can't do that. Like the court. Right, like the court. <laughs> like but the court. honestly, if he wanted to ban all Muslims coming into the country, wouldn't he have said that? Wouldn't he have done that more deliberately than picking... I mean, by the way, I'm not Well, a no, he, he wouldn't have done that because he, he would know that the court would shoot it down. I mean, yeah, that, that would be a clearer First Amendment yeah, issue. Yeah, my, my, you know, my feeling is he wanted to start with an, an extreme position to appeal to a certain base, and then he backed away from that in order to push something through the legal system. But these countries, I'm not a terrorism expert, but where's, you know, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, there's big terrorist cells that are, that, I mean, look at Mohammed Atta. Didn't he come from Egypt? I mean, and a lot of them come from Europe. I mean, in terms of they assimilate in European uh, culture and then they come to the U.S., that's where a lot of terrorist activity can come from. So if you wanted to ban uh, Muslims or from terrorist countries, this list, Venezuela? I mean, what, I'm not sure why Venezuela is on there. I mean, I, I'm not sure just how much evidence they had in, in terms of determining that these countries were a legitimate threat to our our national security. They well, said look, I mean, one thing that the court said, the court said the so-called travel ban proclamation, the document itself, is, quote, more detailed than any prior order issued under federal law, which gives the president this power. So he packed it full of more information than anybody else is in effectuating some kind of a travel ban. So again, the court found, look, there is enough. That's why this passed. I think he shocked it passed. Did you hear his tweet? Did you read it? He goes, Supreme Court upholds travel ban. Wow. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he thought it's it was actually going to work. One of the most brief uh, Trump tweets ever, probably. And it, was, and it was his third go at it. His first two travel bans didn't make it through, but the third, this is the third go at it. So on, on the third time, he won, I guess. I mean, it was so complicated. I was explaining at the beginning. I didn't even mention all of the times it was struck down, all the lawsuits. Right. It was so complicated. So part of me is just happy that it's all resolved. But I was thinking about, like, how does this affect normal, everyday life? Obviously, if you're from any of those countries and you want to come to the U.S., this is a big problem. And I also feel like it's going to create um, a sense of resentment. So if you're from that country, everybody looks to the U.S. as a land of opportunity, a land of freedom. Anybody can come. It's a melting pot. And then you're told that you can't come. That's a big hit. And I feel like that's going to create a lot of resentment. I mean, what President Trump would say is those countries should comply with the systems that we're, we're requiring of them in order to gain entry to, to, to our country. But do you think they're going to know that? The young people there, the, everybody who lives there, they're Absolutely really knowing not. the legality well, of this? You make a great point, Jesse, because, you know, and this is one of these things where one could clearly argue that President Trump has sort of muddied the analysis because what people hear is the president saying we want to ban people who are muslim and what 
this decision says is we're banning people whose processes are not up to snuff under what the United States is requiring for information gathering. And okay, that's a lot more technical uh, and uh, a, a lot more uh, functionary than you know what the the rhetoric is and so when the rhetoric doesn't match the the legal decision a lot of people hear the rhetoric and not the decision do you think it was wrong that the court said hey we're not going to really yeah he didn't speak right we've had presidents who've spoken better about this issue he didn't speak right but you know what we can't look at that when obviously we talked about it on our last right, two podcast yeah. ago the the supreme court court uh wedding cake case where they said the reason we are, are ruling the way we did is because the commission that uh, what was it that the commission that ruled that ruled against the baker that chose not to give the cake to the gay couple they were uh, they were um, impartial and not neutral right they hostile were, they were very hostile towards his religion so they looked at the remarks of that party but they didn't look at the remarks here so there there is some sort of lack of consistency obviously because there were justices that when they were viewing that case, the wedding, the, the wedding cake case, and they saw that the, that commission was being hostile and saying you know, negative things that corrupted the integrity of that, uh, of, of that hearing, they totally just threw it out. They said, we, we can't hear this fairly. But in this case, when President Trump has said in the past that he's in favor of, of a Muslim ban, and <laughs> then he puts in place an action which, on paper, doesn't say Muslim ban, but it is a ban against certain countries. So, so where we are legally is in the question of how far under the covers right. a court will go to look, and this is what we all remember perhaps or perhaps not from statutory interpretation class. Sometimes, yeah, they can go into legislative histories and sort of look under the covers of documents, but courts will only do that if the document that the court is being asked to judge is vague. Well, I really can't tell what this agency or this executive or this panel is trying to do so i have to look beyond the four corners of the document to figure things out here the court said the president packed this document with enough information where we don't feel the need or we are not allowed under precedent to dig under the covers and figure out what's going on behind it but at least legally but but again you're having two so trump's administration is the decision maker on whether or not people can come here the commission in the uh baker case was deciding whether or not what the baker did was wrong i mean they're both decision makers and i guess I, whether you support this decision or not i'm still confused as to how they could make a decision based upon the remarks of one party and not the remarks of another party i'm still confused so it depends I, I, on how much that party puts on the record to back up the decision well is the record twitter and campaign speeches well, no it's it, not yeah. it's the proclamation in the trump case and then you know what did the council say or the the group the commission say in the cake case well that is a difference too that he he said a lot of these statements while on his campaign he was not president yet that's a good point so should he be held to that standard when he, he is not even president of the United States yet and that brought into a hearing like this. Let me get this straight. If during the course of these orders as they were going through, if he made a series of tweets as president and said, we got to get this Muslim ban, we got to get all these people out of here, that could have changed the decision? 
depends on how much is in the proclamation. The court's always going to look to the four corners of the decision first. The statute itself, is the statute clear? Is the proclamation clear? What is it? If it is clear on its face, the decision is made based on the face of the document or whatever it is that the court is being asked to judge. If it's not clear, yeah, that's when the court will kind of go look under the covers and try to figure out what's going on. So, so Aaron, would you have, uh, I, I view you as an esteemed legal co colleague and, and respect your opinion. So would you have gone with the, the dissent or the, or, the, or the majority here? You know, if I were to go with uh, previous decisions of the court, I don't think this is very much out of line. So if I respect the presumption of stare decisis, which is, you know, let the previous decision stand or kind of build on what the court has done in the past, um, I probably would be inclined to go with the majority here. So you, you'd be a concurrence. I feel like you'd be. Yeah, I would. And, and, and look, you know, people have to read the full opinions to get the depth of what's going on here. This court slammed Trump and said, we don't like the language that you use that is anti-Muslim. And the court went on to quote a ton of Republican presidents who have said more kind things about the Muslim community. So it's pretty clear from this decision that this court does not like Trump's rhetoric that's really clear in this decision. But the court said, we have to decide this based on the, the four corners of this proclamation. It was based on research that was ordered from multiple federal agencies. The research was included in the document. It is the longest proclamation involving uh, travel to the United States that's ever been issued. And therefore, the findings stand. The law requires deference to the executive in this area. But does the court really like the way President Trump has commented about the Muslim community? Absolutely not. It's really clear in the decision. I, they slammed Trump's rhetoric. I don't think he's going to change. <laughs> I don't think he's going to change. I doubt he will. Do you think, but do you think that this is going to have an impact on terrorist attacks happening in the United States? Well, I was reading that over the, la the course of the last 20 years, that most of these countries there's been zero terrorist attacks from them that occurred in the United States. Right, and that's what I said at the top of the program. If you're gonna ban countries, I mean, I don't, I mean, yeah, why not ban Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, you can't. And you let can't me restate ban, that. There you were can't no, ban Saudi yeah. Arabia, now much we rely on them? There were no citizens from those, from those countries that caused an attack in the United States, but you're right, like, you pick a gigantic country like that, to ban the entire country who we have a business relationship from coming here is a little radical. Well, what about North Korea? <laughs> you just banned all of North Korea. So next time Kim Jong-un wants to come to the U.S., hey, I want to come to the U.S., Trump's going to be like, let me come to you. When me, did he ever say he wanted to come to the U.S.? Let's say, they're, they're now best friends. Didn't you hear the latest? They're, they're, they're now best friends. Listen to episode three of Guys Who Are, and you'll find out about how they're best friends now. So Kim Jong-un goes, you know what? Um, I, I want to come to the U.S. I want to understand what relations might like be, might be. Ooh, this is awkward. We just have a ban in place now. Uh, I, I'll, come, I'll come to you or we'll meet in Singapore. Hey, um... I Neutral territory. Sometimes when when you want to get together with an ex or break up with your current, you have to go to the park. I well, mean, yeah, when, when Trump <laughs> and Kim Jong Un are going to meet in a coffee shop, <laughs> going to meet in a coffee shop, they'll be sitting on a, a bench over in Central Park. Well, uh, they said there's you know, some exemptions, so maybe there would be an exemption for uh, for uh, leader control. diplomatic Di relations. Di like dictator meeting, dictator meeting coming, coming to the ba U.S. Basically, um, you know what's interesting if you think about how it actually has effect. I was reading like a CNN. I think it was CNN that there was a uh, somebody who had a fiance in Syria 
so she's celebrating with her whole family here in the U.S. and she can't bring her fiance here to celebrate. That's a practical problem for a lot of people. That people have family members, loved ones in these countries. They came here, they became citizens, and they can't get the people that they love here. That's wow. That's a shock. That's I mean, that's how thing. this whole case started. There was three individuals in Hawaii who had family or friends who weren't able to get into the United States, and they had standing to sue. Um, because of that. Now what do they do? Do they go to another country, become a citizen of that country, and then come here? I mean, if I was marrying someone, you know, and, and they couldn't come to the country that I live in to, to live with me, I guess maybe I would go there instead. But look, if they start complying, you know, I get, they basically the, the administration was saying, just provide us more information about these people, about your people, right? And then we can maybe get, drop you off the list. Yeah, they gave them some requirements, and I guess they stuck to their word, too, because they did take some of those countries off the list. Um, I just wonder if it's going to create an even greater terrorist threat because people people are going to be emboldened by this. They're going to be upset by the hate America even more. Yeah. If you, think about it. If you wanted to go to uh, where do you want to travel? You want to go to Australia? Yes. You ever been to you ever been to Australia? I have not, but I, I wouldn't mind going there. Okay. Let's say we all wanted to go boys trip. Go to Australia and they say, "Oh, sorry, no Americans allowed." I would have a very bad feeling about Australia. But are the terrorists who are already you know, plotting against our country. They're already they're, bred they're, to hate America. Yeah. So, I mean, they'll just fuel it even more, no? One would think, uh, or um, it'll make it more difficult for them to come here. So, you know, that, that would be the argument in favor of this. And look, the, the court has consistently tended to rule in favor of the executive and the military in matters of national security. So this decision is not necessarily a surprise to people who've been following the court for a while. It's happened before, it'll happen again. The courts tend to defer in these sorts of issues. Aaron, if you were if you were president of the United States, would you have implemented a travel ban? This is a political state. This is a political question, not a legal question. I didn't realize I was running for office. Yeah. Well, I, I want to know, I'm curious. Uh, would you? Silence. No, I'm, I'm thinking about it, because I don't think it's a cut and dry question. No, neither do I. Yeah. I. I would really struggle with this. and. You know, I, I think any other rational person who is put in a decision-making posi position like the president would struggle with things like this. I mean, you, you don't want to disrupt families. You want to be empathetic to people who are trying to bring relatives to visit uh, or whatnot. You know, let's say there's a perfectly law-abiding family who has a new child or is celebrating a marriage and somebody from some other corner of the world wants to come to visit and then this affects that situation and everyone should feel empathy for people in that situation. But, you know, we hear presidents say, I've got to make decisions that I believe will protect the American people. This is the current incarnation of that. And the court did say in this decision that just came down this week that many of these countries have been identified by previous administrations as being the source of trouble. Right. And that, that was part of the analysis. You know, you'd be able to do it because the United States is providing enough information to other countries to allow us to pass. I mean, it's not a bad thing if they change their ways. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would, you know, want to steer clear of a blanket ban on certain right. countries entering the United States. But if they're not abiding by certain inf information procedures in order to protect our citizens, I get that. And if there needs to be a ban temp temporarily in order for them to comply, you know, I... I don't think it's so radical. Do you think that the citizens of those countries are going to petition their governments and be like, 
you get angry at their government and say, listen, you need to fix this. You need to comply with America's policies or are they gonna be they're not given that information like we're given that information. I think it's whatever their media tells them. Tells well, them it, that's, yeah, but it, okay, so to couple on that though, what their media is telling them, if I'm gonna use your phrase, Andrew, is probably repeating the sound bites from President Trump. Yeah. With the anti, and this yeah. is where the anti-Muslim rhetoric comes in because my guess is that some, uh, you know, whether it, it's an independent outlet or a state media outlet in one of these countries is probably not sitting there reading this opinion over its airwaves to the citizens. They're taking clips of President Trump that are on international feeds and playing them with translation and that's what people in those countries are seeing. That's the disconnect. That's the information disconnect. That's the sort of stuff that riles me up because then everybody hates one another and nobody really knows why. How do you say big league in, uh, in Arabic? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one of the last things though from this case, a little side part, is this was Justice Kennedy's last decision. Yeah, this was a big week in the Supreme Court. There was a lot of news that came out. It was but, this decision first and then Kennedy Decides to retire the same week. Yeah, there was like another big decision about unions. So Kennedy retired. Uh, Aaron, are you surprised the way he, uh, what his opinion was, or the way he sided in this case, knowing that this was going to be his last opinion? Not necessarily. Um, he, I think, uh, really tried to straddle a difficult issue. Uh, I read some commentary about Justice Kennedy this week that I thought was spot on. One of the writers, I think it was in The Atlantic, said that he um, had his own ideas and he tended to sit on a plane that was just somewhat askew of the tried and, and overused liberal conservative monikers that are applied to just about everybody else. And that led Kennedy to sometimes cut against the grain on issues, which is why he was respected for being an independent jurist who came from a different environment than pretty much everyone else on the court right now. Well, it was different. Most of the people on the court now came from uh, federal practice. They. Um, you know, came more from an, uh, what I would call an academic perspective on the law, a little bit more of a think tank perspective. They tend to respond more to those types of legal arguments. Kennedy took over his father's solo practice law firm in Sacramento and was in the trenches as a working lawyer in a solo firm. Did you write the biography? Dealing with different <laughs> types he knows of everything people. About Kennedy. And he, he, his jurisprudence was affected by that because he tr Kennedy tries to find issues people can agree on. He's a little bit more and just to backtrack, uh, Kennedy was appointed by Ronald Reagan yeah. with, you know, with the viewpoint that he was going to come in as a conservative conservative justice, but he's and he's, he's ended up being a more... Well, he, he kind of. I mean, yeah. I mean, Kennedy was brought in when the Robert Bork confirmation failed, and so Reagan dialed things back a little bit and said, I can't put a really, really hardcore conservative on the court because the Democrats in the legislature and Congress are going to block it like they did Bork. You know, again, you had Reagan and you had Democrats in Congress. You didn't have a clean slate where the Republicans could ram just about anything through the way they do these days. So Kennedy was offered as a guy who's kind of one of, by Reagan, this is, you know, Reagan says Kennedy's kind of one of my guys, but by the way, folks, he's a little bit more independent and, you know, he, he's not going to come in and, and rip up... Uh, some of the cases that you like as Democrats as well. There was a compromise, there was a consensus, and that's how he was appointed. You know, we could talk all day about who will replace him and what will happen. I'm just surprised he gave it up. 
you know, if you've been doing it for, what, 37 years like he is, at some point, you know, he's he's in his early 80s now. He's put his time in. He's written his opinions. He's handled his cases. The man has worked his whole life. Um, I, I will hold you to this, Jesse Weber. If I'm around when you are 82 years old, I will make sure you are not retired. Good. That's We want the podcast to last that <laughs> It sounds like you're jockeying for his job, though. I would love to do it. I would love to do it. This is this is the job application, the the podcast. I'm not. This is all on the record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do so. I think we know we're, we're, we're we talked about this case a lot, as we do with every uh, story we talk about here on the podcast. We're going to rate it one to ten. How important is this to you? How much does it affect your life? Ten being the most, one being the least. You guys write it down, and we'll talk about it. Okay. All right. What did you get? So I went six point eight because you can't do decimals. No, we do decimals. We we would do decimals. You can oh, change gosh. it. Okay. Uh, we're, we're gonna be running tons of things here, so we need to stack them up. But um, you know, this is something that's gonna be temporary. It's not something you know a, a permanent uh, order that is gonna be blocking people from these countries forever. Um, so even though the the decision upheld this order. Um, I think it's not necessarily a uh, you know, arbiter of what's going to happen in the future. Um, so that's why I, I rated it kind of middle of the road. I give it a seven. Um, obviously, for people that it directly affects, it's a ten for them. Right. But I always feel like it, it it doesn't affect everybody, but it affect people in the sense of the Trump war. If you hate them, this is ammunition for you, and if you love them, this is ammunition for you. I said uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I said a 5. Okay. And the reason I said that is because it's possible we might not never know how much this affects us. If this indeed keeps someone out of the country who intended to come here and somehow do harm, we will never know how much it affects us. And perhaps uh, perhaps a 5 is, is the, way to, uh, the way to go on it then. It's, it's neither uh, strong nor weak. That's a, good, that's a good explanation. Okay, that was our... First topic here on Guys Who Law. Andrew, take it away for the next one. So we're going to do a, a bit of a switch here. Uh, this is a special July 4th episode. So we're going to do a sort of lightning round where we're going to go through different legal topics and do's and don'ts for 4th of July. 4th of July, you're on the beach, you're barbecuing, you're doing fireworks. We want you to know, you know what, what, what your implications are legally. So we have a couple of topics here. We're just going to go through it fast. Uh, say some fun facts, give our opinions, and then and then move on. So the first topic that most people do Fourth of July is watch some fireworks. And uh, as most people probably know, each state differs in its firework laws. You can buy them certain places. You can't buy them certain places. You can buy only certain types of fireworks in different states. In some states, you can only launch certain types of fireworks in different states. So. I know uh, Aaron spent a lot of time in Wisconsin, so Aaron, why don't you talk about Wisconsin's firework? Uh, for, for first, before you tell me, would you, do you do fireworks yourself, Aaron? Um, uh, in areas where they're legal, I have been known to partake in uh, the use of some of them. Um, I just see I, you running around with the flare. <laughs> you know what I mean? When they line all the fireworks, somebody runs with the flare to line them all up. Uh, no, I've never done that. Uh, as a reporter, though, I have been in a fireworks uh, warehouse, sort of an interesting place to be, a professional fireworks warehouse. What was this, like a uh, like a, a 
what was I gonna say? Like a um, were you like a black ops mission? <laughs> no, as, as a reporter. underground reporter. As a no, I, we were doing a story about uh, a, a company that was prepping for a big Fourth of July show. It was a long time ago. Uh, interesting. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, sparklers, things like that, they're not legal in some states, they are in others. And not only that, but even in some of the states, you have to really watch it because some of the states make these things legal at the state level, but there are local municipalities that ban them. So if you're thinking about heading to um, a state like Wisconsin, the attorney general there just put some information out the other day that said, okay, many types of fireworks are legal in this state, but many aren't. And you got to know your local municipality because some municipalities say they're not legal. And there are different laws in Wisconsin as far as permitting whether you're an in-state resident and an out-of-state resident, which is interesting. And it, it gets really complicated. Why, who wants to light their own fireworks? I never saw the big deal of it. I kind of do. You want to do that? I feel like it would be sort of an adrenaline rush. And I hear all the horror stories of don't play with fireworks and you'll lose a limb and all that sort of thing. Jesse's Not worried about his hair <laughs> being singed off. Andrew's like, no, nah, I'm good. No, but I always feel like it's like when you're at a fireworks show, you know, like when there's all the different pat, you're like, Oh, I wish they'd play that one again. I wish they'd do that one again. And so when you control it yourself, you're like, oh, I can. But you're not launching these professional fireworks up in the air. You don't know I my mean, life. You don't know my oh, life, Aaron. Well, well I'm, forgive me. I didn't realize <laughs> th this weekend I'm going to be watching Pops Goes the Fourth. <laughs> and I'll be looking to see if Jesse Weber is running around on a barge in Boston Harbor <laughs> lighting off fireworks while the you know the bells are tolling it's going to be uh, an imprint of like a, a silhouette of your face like a fireworks silhouette of your uh, face. they don't make those so so let's move on to our if next, they did uh, make those then i would want icebrook to handle the licensing thank you i appreciate it so uh <laughs> so in wisconsin just for anybody all of our listeners who are in wisconsin right now um the the general rule of thumb is that you need a permit if you have a uh, firework that is going to leave the ground, so anything that you're going to launch. But as, as Jesse as, must have permits, somebody. Yeah, yeah. as Aaron <laughs> said, though, it, di it differs per municipality, so check with check with your local town in, ter in terms of the in, there, in the states that legalize this, people tend to go crazy with fireworks on the 4th of July. I, I was up in Green Bay when I worked up there for several 4ths of July, and the city was basically encapsulated in haze for probably about four, five, six hours around uh, dusk to uh, midnight because everyone was launching and, and setting off professional fireworks shows. There were people out in their driveways, out in the streets. I mean, it was just crazy. But no, it doesn't matter what the laws are. People are going to do it anyway. They're going to get whatever. Well, we, we, you know, I mean, we've got enforcement actions already promised in California. They're going to be out patrolling for people doing this stuff. All right, good luck with that. What's the next one we got up on July 4th? So this one's my favorite. I, I love watching the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on July 4th. Do you really? Yeah, I, I, I consider Do you my, wish to be a participant? I, I do consider myself an amateur, <laughs> an amateur professional eater. I will get three hot dogs today, sir. <laughs> so it takes place on Coney Island. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys watch? Do you watch? No. Okay. So, so I, I watch every year, and, you know, they're eating upwards of, you know, for the winners at least, upwards of 40-plus hot dogs. At what point do they die? Well, that, that, yeah, that, that, so that's my question. What are the legal ramifications if one of them chokes, if one of them starts puking and, and drowns in their puke? Or if one of them dies from these from these hot dogs, I'm assuming they sign something, a waiver before. I, I would assume. Uh, I mean, I would just argue assumption of the risk. I mean, if if you want to cram that many hot dogs in your throat, 
you're doing it yourself. I mean, it's not like the company's putting them in your throat. At what point do you make that life decision to do that? Depends on how hungry you are. It's a skill. I watched a documentary <laughs> on competitive eating. Yeah. And it requires a decent amount of training. Like The Japanese guy who like works out and builds his muscle, his, uh, to, his to, cord. Takuru Kobayashi. Excuse me. That was the documentary that I watched. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that guy has to work out and make himself, like, expand his stomach in a certain way. But I always, like, at what point, if you're not him who's a competitive eater, you're like, eh, I'm going to try this. At what point is it called giving up? (laughs) I've given up. (laughs) It's a a bold career move. Um, It's probably, like, a a plan B if you, you, uh, something didn't work out. But I feel like it's a fun thing to do. Imagine if somebody sued for getting hurt during this. Yeah, I, mean, I have to believe that they sign waivers before entering yeah. this competition. And then also the venue, Nathan's, they have insurance, I'm sure. Do, if you're going to do it, I guess, do it at a uh, licensed uh, professional eating competition, not like in your backyard. Well, you know what the, what the funny thing is? This is actually part of a, pro- a professional eating association called the MLE, the Major Major League Eating. I'm not kidding. So I, they probably have their own legal rules. The, is that a sport? Yes. You, oh, wait a sec. Okay, hold on. You're married, all right? You got a girlfriend, whatever, boyfriend, whatever. You say to them, listen, I've decided to leave my job. I want to get, I really want to get into a sport that I've been dying to be a part of. It's the MLA. Like, that's not legit. Well, I, I think that the the discussion would uh, require some sort of financial analysis. Uh, hey, honey, I, I'm thinking about doing this. And oh, by the way, People who are successful at this make six figures or something. Then maybe, you know, well, uh, I do see you eat a lot for dinner, so maybe you'd have a future in it. Um, Is that what you think, though, right? Even if you're a big, fat, like, if you're big, whatever, like, it doesn't necessarily mean you win that. A lot of these guys aren't that fat. Some of them have eight packs. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Yeah. For the record, you can't see Andrew. He's grinning and looking at this, like... Maybe I should leave this job. <laughs> I oh, want to he, be he, CEO. He wants this. He wants free food. I mean, is it is it free food? You get paid to eat rather than paying to eat. Yeah, I, so I, I, I actually participated in one eating contest when I was in college. Did you? Domino's what was it? Pizza. Ooh, how'd you do? Um, second place. And That's actually pretty I, good. I, I got, a lot, got a lot of shit for it, though. How many um, did you eat? I mean, what, was, it, was, was it just cheese pizza, or did the toppings influence the number of pizzas you can eat, I'm sure? It was, it was one pie, but it was who can eat it the fastest. So how fast it? did you eat it? I, I ate it in probably like a um, minute and a half. That is disgusting. <laughs> oh my How God. did you do it? I mean, did, did you roll the thing up and, yeah, and you, dip you know? It? Well, I think in the middle of the pizza, I realized I should dip it in water. Um, Ugh, that it, it makes, that, that's what they do for Nathan's. They put it in when they dip it in water so it goes down your throat quicker. Um, but that's probably why I came in second. I, I'm a sensitive eater. I can't even look at people's plates. So if you told me to dip hot dogs or, or pizza in water, I'd probably throw up. How, how many hot dogs do you think you can eat before? before vomiting or getting sick. See, hot dogs wouldn't do it for me. No? No. Pasta eating competition, oh, can I do some damage. I think I can eat 20 hot dogs without getting sick. I've eaten barbecue wings like Well, define getting sick. I mean, do you mean sick to your stomach or do you mean preservatives and and lifelong issues that may may or may not result from... And psychological trauma. (laughs) I mean, like immediate sickness. Uh, (laughs) Not looking at at the long term. You're not looking at the long term. I mean, well, 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 does it make a difference if they're organic hot dogs? You know, does it make a difference if if they're vegan hot dogs that are made with like tofu or something? These are Hebrew National Kosher hot dogs. The best of the best. <laughs> All right, what other uh, July 4th do's and don'ts don't we have? So the last topic for July 4th is 
the this one this one's a pretty straightforward one. Whether you're required to say the Pledge of Allegiance or the Star Spangled Banner anywhere. Requ like, required? Like this is the NFL? <laughs> well, this case has come up before in the United States. Like years and years you're ago. You're saying if I'm like at a show and they're like, everyone stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, if you're, I mean, they don't have school on July 4th, but whether you're required to stay in, stay in school at a sporting event, if you're on a sporting, you know, if you're on a team. We saw with the, with the, with the NFL last well, year. Well, I mean, let's not muddy the analysis. The first question is who is asking you to recite it? So let's say it's a public school. They're saying that you have to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. I'd say no. No. Government you, actors cannot compel speech. You'd be right. There, and there's a decision about that. So um, if, you, if you attend public school, you do not have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Private uh, functions uh, would depend on whether you signed a contract requiring you to do it. Right. Private, I mean, private it depends on, on, on the situation. I mean, it, if you're at a concert or an event and someone says, everyone stand for the pledge, I mean, there's, I mean, what are they going to do? They can't compel you to do it there either. But if you had agreed to saying, well, you know, I am a member of this team and I agreed to as a matter of contract do it, no, that's I, what the NFL is trying to do. I just like when right? everybody stands because I like to see who knows it. Yeah. How many people know well, it, actually? These days, though, there are people with sporting events. If you go and you're walking into the stadium and you still have your hat on during the national anthem, there's people that will yell at you and tell you to take off your hat. Yeah. And you I, have, I take off my hat. Wait, but, you have, but when you haven't even entered the stadium yet and the Star Spangled Banner is going on. Oh, really? Mm. That, that happened to me in, in line for a Yankee game last year. What did you say? And I was I walking through security. I was, I was getting all the metal detected in, you know, while I was going through. And someone screamed at me to take off my hat. And I'm dis disrespecting the United States. <laughs> I was like, I'm just trying to get through a metal detector here. So did you take it off? I took it off. I mean, yeah. I want to start a fight, but yeah. like Jesse Weber would never put a hat on his hair. It's, it's uh, he considers seen, it perfect the way it is. Have you seen humidity in New York City? No, no. It's uh, it, I have to put it on. I put it on before I come in here. It's true. You guys, I've seen him. The hat doesn't mess it up. You, you're just next question, Aaron. <laughs> it just springs back for you. It's a living organism. Sometimes I don't know what it does every day. <laughs> oh, like the hat is part of the routine. Um, is that all of our July Fourth? That's it. Do's that, and don'ts. Fast landing rounds. So why, why don't we do a quick overall rating for this? Okay. So ten being it affects you. One. <laughs> An asteroid hitting the Earth. <laughs> all right. I got it. Like I gotta really think about this one. You want me to just blurt it out? Yeah, why don't you go first? Yeah. Two. I gave it two, too. <laughs> I went 7.3. Why? Because most Americans celebrate July 4th in some form or another. They, a lot, view fireworks, use fireworks, sing the Star Spangled Banner. Hot dog eating competition. They watch the hot dog eating contest. You know. Actually, I didn't even know you could watch that. Where's that televised? I think it's on, I don't know which network. ESPN8. Maybe. Hello, show. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just July 4th, Legal topics in general, I feel like, are important. I, I wasn't saying these ones specifically, but just more more generally. The 4th of July legal topics are more important to Andrew Icebrook than the travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it the affects, fourth it affects him more. Now looking back on that, I'm regretting that scoring after he said that. Can't take it back. Can't yeah. take it back. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us here on Guys Who Law. We loved having you on. Great to be here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was it. Have a great day. Fourth of July, although you might, you might have, yeah, have a great Fourth of July. We will, you will hear from us next week. Stay safe.